Hey, Connect Church, PD here. I want to welcome you guys to uh, online campus today. I miss you guys. Love you all. Thank you so much for watching. Some of you are part of our local church, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you and asking God's favor on your life. Many of you are far away watching, and uh, I, I appreciate you guys. I see you guys in the chat, and uh, thank you. Thank you for, for listening. Hey, we're in a new series uh, that we kicked off last week. Last week was a doozy and uh, kind of opened up a conversation. This is really a series that's mostly dedicated to our church family as we rebuild it, but it has application to the Big C Church as well. And I, I think you guys that are back again attest to that. Um, we're calling the series STD, Socially Transmitted Diseases. And we're talking about how to um, uh, retain our integrity and retain our influence as a byproduct because though Christianity is the majority within our world, we don't have the impact as a people group uh, that should have uh, the influence that you would assume. And so this is a problem in our culture today. And so for months we've been rebuilding our church. Um, We've been open uh, fully um, about three plus months. And this is totally our focus. And we believe we're coming back, by the way, stronger than ever. Uh, there's a, there's a, a precious momentum uh, within Connect right now. And I just ask you from wherever you are to be praying that we continue to steward that uh, really well. And pray for me that I can continue to lead uh, through that. If you would, I would appreciate that. We're not looking back anymore. We're going forward. Now, I will go back quickly to last week. We had... Uh, we talked about cultural concerns with a special emphasis on sexuality. And I gave a framework which really applies to the whole series. Three uh, significant observations. One was a sociological observation. What kind of culture are we in? Are we in a, um, a theonomous culture, a heteronomous, heteronomous culture, or an autonomous culture? I think you probably can guess if this is your first time. We are in a self-rule. I do what seems to be right in my eyes. And that has created a certain chaos. And we talked about a theological uh, perspective that a lot of people don't know what they believe and in whom they have believed. And more importantly, how to apply what they believe. And so that led to the third observation, really uh, probably the most important one. And and that is a relational observation. Um, we, We really don't know how to... Uh, build bridges. We're, we're building barriers and we're, we're, we're blowing up bridges uh, as it relates to leaning into people who don't think like us, believe like us, talk like us, act like us. And so uh, as Christians, uh, we, we really are not doing a good job with that. And I, I heard a, um, uh, you, you know the phrase, I'm sure, uh, you know, um, you shouldn't put up with that or I wouldn't put up that if I were you. Uh, But you know what? It's interesting that Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, tells us that we are supposed to put up with some things, people's idiosyncrasies and, and, and people's weaknesses. We're supposed to bear with one another and forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. And, and I also believe we're supposed to put up with the cultural differences and the value system differences because we're supposed to be a stronger influence on the world than the world is on us. And, and, and this series is dedicated to that because our, fo- our focus should be that God loves everybody, Everybody needs Jesus, and it's not my job to change everybody. That's, that's God's job. Can I have an amen? But we want to do a good job influencing people. So today, everybody say today. 
Today, um, we're going to talk about, again, how do we live in this, as my friend used to say, crazy nuts world. The world that, this culture that is hostile, uh, in particular to Christianity, in particular to our faith, and specifically to, to God's word. Are, are you out there, everybody? And how do we do that? And is there anybody in the Bible who did that well? And the answer is even, not, not Jesus, we know he did it well, but there's another guy and his name was Daniel. Yes, there is another person. His name was Daniel. And so we're going to do like a character study over the next few weeks on the life of Daniel. And we're going to see how he successfully was able to stand firm in his convictions and love well uh, in the world, in the culture in which, in the pagan culture in which he lived. And um, he, 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 he found the, he managed the tension and he balanced um, grace and truth and, and, and they were able to uh, coexist. And the question is, how the heck did he do it? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I think last week I gave you a a story. Please go back and listen to last week's message, but I kind of gave you a testimony on a modern version of how uh, I did it uh, uh, a few years back, and, and I think it will help you in a big way. So this is really, really relevant because culture is changing. It's shifting like, 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 like the sands on the seashore constantly, and it's plummeting. Culture is plumbing into, plummeting into moral chaos and, and confusion. You know, years ago, uh, uh, the Bible and prayer got kicked out of schools, and, and it, it's just, it's just kept the s- snowballing. Marriage, you know, has been, has been redefined, and, 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 and whether we can discipline kids a certain way or not, if at all. And, and, and now we've spun in, into all kinds of things. Uh, uh, gender confusion is at an all-time high, all-time high. I never thought... Last week I said this, I said I never thought I'd see certain things happen, and they have, but I never thought I'd see this. I was reading that uh, uh, our, our, our comic book hero, Superman, my favorite uh, comic book, I was a comic book guy, I used to have a collection of comic books, I, I still like uh, the superheroes, I'm, I'm an Avenger follower, I, I go out to, you know, I love all the modern stuff with that, but, but all-time favorite, you know, I was talking to my grandson Zion. You know, who do you think the strongest superhero is? He has all these superheroes. He's got, he's got, he's got, he thinks Thanos is good. I keep trying to tell him Thanos is bad. But he's got Black Panther, and he's got Iron Man, and, and he's got, you know, um, Hulk, and, and he's got Spider-Man, and, and he's got Batman, and, and the boy, I mean, he's got them all. He's got Thor, and then he's got Superman. And I'm trying to tell him Superman can blow all these guys out of the water. But it's crazy that Superman has, is now, the, the new series of Superman that's coming out, Son of Kal-El, the newest Superman is going to be bisexual, going to be bisexual, and it's created quite an upheaval. And and, and if you say anything about that, you're going to be socially crucified and or canceled. And and it's like we're living in the United States of Babylon. And there's this tension that we're in as Christians, uh, because some Christians think, we got to fight back, you know what I mean? We got to fight fire with fire, and we're in this culture war. We got to wage war. It's an eye for an eye. But Jesus doesn't say we should do that. Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and Jesus had all kinds of people who didn't think like him. And he leaned into relationship with him, even though they didn't necessarily know or believe what he believed. And, and unfortunately today, too many Christian messages that are out there are highly condemning. 
okay, that on one side of the equation, we'll talk about those later, but in those, con those condemning messages, it's giving, it's giving Jesus a black eye, as it were, and it's reducing his bride's influence, the church of Jesus Christ's influence to the world. But how do you uphold uh, truth and again reach and influence and impact people around you that think differently and avoid the wrecking ball of relationships? And so this is our current sociological dilemma that we spoke about last week. So can we manage the tension and be successful? Yes, I believe we can. And I'm here to encourage you through this series. So Daniel, as our example, shows us the way. He lives in a similarly hostile culture, um, and he didn't lose influence. He even gained influence in the middle of it. I, I not only want to encourage you can do it, I want to encourage you can have the most impact of any other time uh, in your life. He actually lived in this pagan culture under four uh, kings, and successfully succeeded uh, going from one king to the next, to the next, to the next, and rising to the top in influence and rising uh, above it all because of his, uh, his retained uh, integrity. So we're going to study Daniel chapter 1 through 6. The first six chapters of Daniel are all these incredible stories. The last six are all about the end times and, and, and just prophetic um, vision about the end times. Amazing, Daniel 7 uh, and beyond. Um, but these, these and we might throw another story in there from the prophet Eli. I've got this message. I, I don't know what to do with and where to put it, but we, we'll, we'll see. Um, this series has a lot of um, undertones and, and a lot of it has been influenced by my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges. Years ago, he wrote a book and you got to check this book out. It's called The Daniel Dilemma. The Daniel Dilemma by Pastor Chris Hodges. And so, Please know uh, that he's had a major influence on, on my life and, and this ministry. But this, this, guy, this, this guy in the book of Daniel, it, it's a historical record, but it's filled with action-packed stories. I mean, the, the Bible is not boring. Uh, you see the, the story of uh, the fiery furnace, you know, with, with Rackshack and Benny and, and Daniel, right? Remember Veggie Tales? So that's what they were called. Um, and, and then you see the, the story of the handwriting on the wall. Remember that? You know, the writing on the wall. And, and it, we kind of wonder where we get that phrase from. Well, that's from the book of Daniel. This is where he gives a prophecy to Daniel and he interprets it. And then, of course, we have lessons uh, from a lion tamer. When Daniel was in the lion's den, wow. So we got some powerful uh, principles about how to live in a hostile culture through his life. And this is not just um, a record. This is a roadmap for us. And I want to help you see and extrapolate some principles from his story. Because what happens is um, the, the nation of Israel at this time has rejected God. And because of that, there are inherent consequences because of that. And, and we've done the same thing. At one time, we were one nation under God. We're not. We're not. And, and there, is, there is an inevitability that there will be certain consequences because of this uh, unless we turn our hearts toward God, unless the church rises up and takes its place uh, in this, um, this kind of end time sequence. I loved last week uh, having a moment in the service. This was in our live experience, everybody. But we had a moment of repentance. And people were coming, uh, as we talked about this culture and sexuality, people were coming and rededicating and dedicating for the first time their bodies as unto the Lord. It was a beautiful thing just to see, you know, this is not my body. Uh, I can do what I want to. No, uh, uh this is his. 
and, and it was bought with a price on Calvary. He in his nakedness, you know, took upon himself all of our shame, all of our guilt, and all of our sin. And we don't have to get on the cross and physically die, but he wants us to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto him. He's, he gets to decide how I live with this body, and so I don't have to just follow what I feel. I follow what God uh, says for me, and I honor him with my body. It was a powerful, powerful moment in the service last week. But in Daniel's day, the people of God rejected him, and they were carried off as slaves. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. Look in your Bibles. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and besieged it. Okay, he came from Babylon, and he besieged all of Judah. And, and so where is Babylon? Is it downtown Boston? Well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> no, Babylon is, ancient Babylon was really located in the modern nation today of Iraq, the Middle East. This is about 650 BC. And this king, Nebuchadnezzar, they're going to show you a picture. This king, look at that beard, right? I mean, he needs some of that beard oil, but this guy this guy is uh, the supreme leader. He is large and in charge, and uh, he, you just don't mess with this guy. When he um, defeated a people group, he, he did certain things or unique things. He didn't just invade. Uh, no, but he would, he would pull out the most um, uh, talented, the most, uh, you know, by appearance, uh, beautiful. Um, and he would pull them into a captivity and enslave them. And he would take them back to Babylon. And in this case, he did that for 70 years. In verse 2 it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, that is Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. That's not good. These he carried off to the temple of his God, small g, in Babylonia, and put in the treasure of his God, small g. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is really bad. He takes the city, he takes it back to his temple, and he takes a bunch of people, key people with him. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court of the officials, this is, <coughs> excuse me, this is his right-hand man, uh, to bring these guys into the king's service um, from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. This was the group that Daniel was a part of. You might have been pulled at this time into that group, perhaps. You would have qualified for this because you're obviously very handsome and very intelligent. So you just, you know, you, you clearly would have been a part of that. But he would leave kind of the poor and the uneducated behind. But he'd take the studs out. He'd take the strong out. He would take the smartest. But the young Jewish men who were well-trained, the best and the brightest, you know, he basically wanted them to serve in his palace he wanted them to, basically, he was saying, you're going to serve me. You're going to serve me. And so what he would do is he would indoctrinate them. That's a big word, um, but he's, gonna, he's going to indoctrinate them into the culture of Babylonia so that their heart would not be with God, but would be with the king. 
Does that make sense to everybody out there? And this is important because it plays into our day and our culture and our world today. Another word for indoctrinate would be brainwash, okay? Um, and so that's, that's really what is happening today uh, within our world. And he was trying to get them to stop following the Torah, stop following the, the, the ways of God, the laws of God. I want you to serve and worship me. Now, I want you to see some of the steps to this cultural contamination, this, this cultural brainwashing, uh, this, this indoctrination. Look at the first thing they would do in verse 4. Number one, teach them the language and literature of Babylonia. It says in verse 4, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. If you want to brainwash someone, you got to share your stories. You got to share your songs. You got to get them to know how to finish your sentences and tell your jokes. And you got to toss out the, in this case for them, it was the Torah and replace it with People Magazine and, and the Kardashians and, and whatever, you know, is the modern thing uh, right now. I want you to worship other idols. I want you to set your affection on other things. And, and it's about shaping thoughts and shaping attitudes and ultimately influencing the value system. This is what was happening. This is what they were attempting to do. And this is what is happening with our youth today. Okay? M music and, and movies and, and literature and, and content. This is how YouTube, this is how TikTok, this is how uh, Twitter, this is how we indoctrinate now. Number two, you got to get them to observe your customs. Okay? This is uh, verse five. It says, the king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. This was a new diet. Uh, this was literal, but you could also see it in a figurative sense because, because of the, the, the connection there is, 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 you know, kind of what you feed on. This is a principle I'll say probably more than once. You live and lead on. But what, what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do, and this is an external example, he was trying to get him, instead of eating the, that, the food you're used to, I want you to have filet and cabernet. Come on. Some of you are like, well, what's the matter with that? Well, this was a big deal. This was a big deal for their culture, the Hebrews, because the food that was being offered was, was dirty. It was sacrificed to idols. And this broke every Jewish custom, every Jewish law that they had. And it, was a, it was a religious no, no. Okay. And so they're corrupting them right away with, with literature and language. They're corrupting them right away with, with new diet. And, and, and they're trying to get them to watch what I watch and do what I do and eat what I eat, etc. The next thing they did, number three, is they would train them until they get it in them. Train them until they get it in them. Verse six. Look, it says they were to be trained for three years. This wasn't like just a quick, you know, three month in and out kind of thing. And after that, they were to enter the king's service because then they would be fully indoctrinated. And among those who were chosen, we see some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So these four young Hebrews, Daniel and his three amigos, as some would say, probably in their late teens, early 20s, they're in this three-year internship. And the, the objective of the king was to get them to forget about where they came from. Forget about who they are. Forget about who they serve because you are now serving Nebuchadnezzar and you are now a Babylonian. This was very calculated. This was very um, precise. And this was very, very evil. Now, let me make this personal for some of you that are out there listening. How do we modernize this in a sense? If you don't understand the times in which you're in, culture will unknowingly or knowingly be brainwashing you and taking from you 
your values, what you once professed to be true, what you once proclaimed, what you once practiced, okay? Because every culture sponsored by Satan has an agenda to manipulate your minds. Now, you could call that, uh, you know, just kind of uh, a conspiracy, but it's, it, it's, it's in the Bible, everybody, and I'm just giving you one of the examples. Culture, actually, culture isn't to blame. Uh, Jesus used culture, and we can too, just so you know, but it's the devil behind culture attempting to manipulate mindsets. And I'll show you how he did it in the very next verse. He changed, this is, this is what Satan manipulated, this is what Satan's agenda was. He changed their names. Well, big deal. He changed their names. Listen, write this down. New names equals new identity. This, this next thing was how uh, the enemy would brainwash, attempt to brainwash these boys by giving them new names. And it was, it, it was sponsored by the enemy, but it, was, but it would come through the Babylonians. It was to, to um, you know, a lot of times your, your names are, are associated a lot of times, we know that with our identity. Your names uh, were a sign of worship. It says who you belong to. It says who you're associated with. So these four men had great names given to them uh, that represented their faith in God, that represented kind of who they were as a Hebrew follower of, of the one true God. For example, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Isn't that great? God is my judge. Like, he's, he's just. Uh, Hananiah, I like this. Uh, it means the Lord shows grace. Like Hannah, the word Hannah, uh, the name Hannah, a lot of people love that name. It means grace, okay? Now, it's not, the, it's not what you say, you know, at the mealtime or, you know, it, it's, it's a term of unmerited favor, God's grace. Mishael or Michael, it, it, it was more of a rhetorical question. Who is like my God? Who is like my God? That's what his name means. Who is like my God? Or sometimes the one like God. And Azariah, great name. It means the Lord helps. In other words, he's with me every step of the way. I always have God with me. And I think you know this, but if you don't, names are significant. Or they were meant in the original sense, in the original uh, you know, d- d- definitions to be significant. They were supposed to have meaning. In fact, my parents... <laughs> There's too much to this story, but my, my dad wanted to name me one thing, and I think he and my mom had a conversation, and she won. And uh, he originally wanted to name me, <laughs> he wanted to name me Ace, A-C-E. That is horrible, but apparently it was super cool. You know, you look in the mirror, and you'd be like, Ace, you know what I mean? But no, that's not what happened. They ended up naming me Derek, and they named me Derek with a particular spelling. So my name's not spelled D-E-R-E-K or D-E-R-I-C-K. It's a Teutonic spelling, D-E-R-Y-C-K. And get this, it means leader of men. So my parents deliberately named me that. In a sense, it was prophetic. They didn't know I would become a pastor or a leader of leaders. But in a sense, I've lived into my name. I've lived into my name. And I believe that's God's design or that's God's desire is that he would give you a name and you would live it. Now, sometimes parents don't make an intentional decision to name you a certain thing and the meaning would be connected to the purpose for your life. But God does. Listen, listen. When you're born again, God gives you a new name. When you become a follower of God, he gives you a new name. He did that in the Old Testament. You know, Abram, you're now Abraham. You know, he did it with Sarah. He, he's done it in the, in, the, in the New Testament as well. Saul, you are now Paul. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because when, when, you, get, when you become a follower of God, when you're born again, it's basically God 
You have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that new name has new assignment. It has new assignment. It's in a sense, here's a way to say it. It's God saying uh, to you, I've anointed you to do something. And so you need to ask God, what, what is my new name? What have you anointed me to do that I'm supposed to step into? In Revelation 2.17, I didn't put this in the, in the notes, but maybe they'll put it on the screen. It says in the latter part, it says, I also give clear, smooth stone inscribed with your new name, your secret new name. Reading from the message translation. I love this. It's significant. And my guess is your parents gave you a certain name, but if you're saved... Come on, God has given you a new name, and I want to encourage you to live in accordance with your, with, your, with your new name. I want you to think about it. God, what are those things? I thought about these things, you know. God has made me, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a father figure. Uh, God has made me uh, a wise person, a leader, a peacemaker, uh, a giver. Uh, am I living in accordance with, 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 my, with my names that God has given me? And so it's a big deal because culture, if you don't live in accordance with that, is trying to change change your name, and in turn, change your identity. Look in verse 7 what it says. This is better probably than your amen. But it says in verse 7, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Michael, Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. Babylon culture, the world's number one agenda is to change not just your name, but underneath that, your identity, to make you believe something about yourself that is in fact absolutely false, that is not true, to get you to forget that you are a child of God, that you're a beloved son or daughter of God, that your identity is not in what you do, but it is in who you know. And so culture tried to rename Daniel, Belteshazzar. Do you know what that means? It means, lady, you protect the king. Lady, protect the king. They gave Daniel a feminine or female name. Now, if you do the research on this, and I've done some of it, uh, but in every pagan culture uh, in the world historically, there's always been, listen, gender confusion. Now, I want to be careful here, but why do I say it? Why gender confusion? Because one reason is the devil isn't trying to just trip people up sexually. He's trying to mess up your relationship vertically with him such that you are no longer defined by God. That's part of it. But more importantly, that you don't even know who you are anymore. Okay? So it's about causing confusion at the core of who you are, not at the surface of who you are. It's not what you look like on the outside. It's who you actually are. And, and, and just a time out. I'm not criticizing anybody who has gender confusion or what, what's termed sometimes gender dysphoria. It's, it's this, this uneasy feeling that you have, uh, you feel like there's a mismatch between your biological sex and your actual gender identity. And I, I don't have any criticism of that feeling or even that tension. I'm just attempting to help you see, or anyone you're trying to help see, the root of it, not focus on the fruit of it. Ooh, that's so important. And so, and there might be an agenda behind uh, the agenda that we're focusing on. And I think if we would focus on the right agenda, we might get a different action and therefore a different outcome. The truth is, as far as Connect is concerned, we love all people. And that is, that is, that is truth. That is sincere. We, we believe actually that... I don't believe we have to agree with each other to love each other. 
I've been married for 29 years. It's coming up on 30 years this, this next month. And there's a lot of stuff me and Stay still after all these years. Not, not a lot, but there's some stuff we don't agree with each other on. Uh, we were just doing our trust, updating our trust, our living trust. We had some differences. How are we going to leave this world? Okay? Not a big deal. Okay? We, I, I love her. I would give my life for her. And I think she would, me too. But I care and love plenty of people who don't agree with me, biblically or otherwise. Because the Bible doesn't call me to love people I agree with. Right? Does he call you to love people just that you agree with? So my experience, though, is to the one that might be listening or hearing this, that's often not reciprocated um, if you're not a Christian towards Christians. Uh, culture tries to get Christians to conform to their values. And their value is sexuality is my identity. And as Christians, we don't believe sexuality is your identity. That We actually believe that that message is trying... The enemy is behind that trying to sell you a fake ID, a fake identity, and get you to believe something that you are not and utterly erase who God made you to be. Okay? So listen, the truth is sex is not God. Okay? The truth is gender is not God. God is God. That's what we believe as Christ follows. So don't let God... Don't, don't let, excuse me, culture rename you. Now, the second Hebrew here in the story, uh, Hananiah, was renamed Shadrach, which means I am afraid of God. Culture still trying to send a message. I'm afraid of God. What's that message? Christianity, you know, uh, is toxic. God is angry. God is judgmental. Uh, religion is controlling. That, that, that's the message through, through this through this new name, establishing this new identity, establishing these new uh, behaviors. And yet the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. The third guy in the story, uh, Mishael, was named Meshach. Look at this name. It means, the new Babylonian name is, I am despised. I am contemptible. Okay? So he went from confidence in his Hebrew name, to cowardice. <coughs> the fourth name, the fourth Hebrew here, Azariah, who was, was God is my helper, that's what his name means, was named Abednego. Abednego. And this means the servant of Nebo. The servant of Nebo. It means you're a servant of men. You're not a servant of God. Uh, you're, you're, you, need, you need man's approval more than you need God's approval. Your heart belongs uh, uh, to Babylon and, and, and not to God. This is identity theft and it's culture's attempt to manipulate you in order to get you to question your identity in, in, in Christ. Maybe I am a girl. Maybe I am a boy. Maybe I am this. Maybe I am, you know, you know depressed. Maybe I am, uh, you know, suicidal. Maybe I am. You know, it's trying to get you to question those things and not see things uh, as they really are. And, and, and you add that to Christianity's failures and, and their loss of integrity, were, let's face it, were the butt of every joke on late night television, uh, movies, late night TV shows, podcasts, all trying to lampoon us, you know, and we're not doing ourselves any favor because we have more, we have more controversial, um, more Christians, <coughs> excuse me, messing up than any other time in history. So, and, and so people look at us and say, see, I told you. These, these Bible-believing Christians are a bunch of phonies, and they, have, they don't have testimonies, they have testifonies. And, and so, know this. Behind that is the devil's agenda, always to try to uh, disgrace his church, God's church, with division, 
amongst each other and decadence. And for all intents and purposes, everybody, he's doing a pretty good job. He's doing a pretty good job. Most, most people are intimidated uh, by these messages, and I'm not going to say anything. You know, we're, we're embarrassed, we're uninformed, I'm going to keep it to myself, just going to keep it private, I don't want to offend anybody. And we live that silent gospel instead of living that salvation gospel. And this is exactly what the enemy tried to do to Daniel in this story. So, so remember this, when culture shifts, and it is, you better know who you are. You better know who you are and to whom you belong. And I don't care what the world tries to name you. Uh, you are who God says you are, and that settles it. So Daniel in the story starts to push back. Are you still tracking with me, everybody? And, and he says in verse, uh, this is Job uh, 2321 says, I don't, I don't leave your, your word or your commandments. They haven't left my lips. Uh, and it says, this, this, your word is more important than my necessary food. So he, he's getting ready to, to draw a line in the sand. And I just want you to understand, it's more, it's more than just not eating something, okay? He's basically trying to say, for me to be strong enough to stand up to some things, I'm going to have to have a different nourishment going into my body. So this, this story, this new diet is an attempt to get these Hebrews to compromise their convictions. And sometimes the enemy is trying to give you a new diet from culture, get you to feed on so you lean on these certain things. Why? Because the, if, whatever you feed on, you live and lead on. Why? The enemy wants you to compromise your culture. What are you feeding on? What are you, what are you taking in on a regular basis? It is indoctrinating you and it is causing you to progressively compromise in your faith. And so this first test in the book of Daniel comes from verse 8. It says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I love the fact that Daniel asked for permission. He didn't just say, you know, I've been waiting for this. You know, you, you guys are a bunch of pagans. You're all going to hell in a handbasket. No, he wasn't a jerk. Okay, he wasn't disrespectful. He was he he could disagree and still be respectful. He didn't he didn't, you know, you know, kind of uh, go on a rant on Facebook and Instagram in his disagreements. No, he didn't join a militia. Okay, no, he actually says, sir, with all due respect, this is one of my convictions regarding the temple of God. And I want to uphold it uh, in honor of him. And, And so would you please uh, I want to ask your permission. Look at the language. Look at the approach. The Bible says he resolved. That word means he made up his mind. He, yes, this is just the way it's going to be. I got I to, whatever I got to do, I got to do this. Lord, help me. Help me do it. I've resolved. And he had a vow in his heart to be pure in body and in spirit. And some of you, are out there and you feel the pressure in the world that you're in uh, to compromise your convictions. It could be in a relationship, a heterosexual relationship. It could be in a same-sex relationship. It could be in your school system with your friends that, that, are, that are becoming more an influence on you than others. It could be uh, with how you're raising your kids and, and lines that you believe God wants you to, to kind of uh, draw and, and, and standards you, you're supposed to uphold. It could, it could be uh, certain behaviors, you know, and nobody 
big deal. You can do this. No big deal. You can do that. The culture is always going to push you to the brink, to the limits, to, your, to, your, to your, your belief limits. And Daniel didn't compromise. He stood firm and he loved well. Notice again the respect though. But what impact did this have in Babylon? Look in verse 9 and 10. This story is amazing. It says, now God, as a result of that re resolved position and that respectful approach, caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. By the way, favors from God. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid the Lord King is going to be mad with me because he's assigned your food and drink. What if he finds out about this? What if this doesn't work? He's going to have my head instead of your head. And Daniel, with, with, with this spirit of excellence, provides an alternative, creative, diplomatic uh, solution. And he says in verse 11, Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over them, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us a test. Let's just try this out. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who, uh, who eat the royal food on their Instagram accounts and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. How many times do we miss an opportunity because we're not willing not only to resolve, to kind of establish uh, our convictions as unmovable, fixed beliefs, stand up for what we believe, and tell whoever it is that we're talking to, hey, if you don't see me living it, if you don't see it working in my life, if you don't see it, then I won't do it, okay? And this, this is kind of what he's saying. And so the guy agreed to this and tested him for 10 days. He, he goes through this taste test, as it were, and instead of giving these recruits cheesecake and Amstel Light and Smashburger, <laughs> come on, these guys are, are going totally vegan. And God honors this and God gives them favor. Now pay attention to this. Again, it's more than a food thing. This was about spiritual nourishment that Daniel and his three amigos knew they needed for the future. In order to be able to live in this culture, they had to say no to certain things, live in it, but be separate from it in their hearts, and in some cases, in their lifestyle. Many Christians are not doing that today, and as a result, we're not seeing the impact that God has for us uh, in our lives because we're weak and we leak. We, we give in and we give over, and we, 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 we move our lines and we move our behaviors. And, and this was kind of a, a type of fasting that he went into, and he was tested many times in this book. And if you're living in a culture... Uh, uh, like, like he lived in, as a true Christian, you're going to come to a place ultimately, eventually, inevitably, where your convictions will come into uh, uh, confrontation. Culture will confront what you believe and what I believe at some point. Mark it down. It's going to happen. So you got to prepare yourself for that test. And that's what Daniel was doing when he said, I resolved myself. So when, when that comes, will you respond with courage in your convictions or compromise to what you believe. Will you be ready for that? You know, I got to tell you this story. Uh, it's not my story. It's my pastor's story. Pastor Chris uh, shares this story in the book, and he shared this story in a small group that I'm in, um, and I'll try to get it right. But when he was at LSU, he, he went to LSU. He's from Louisiana. And um, he was trying to make a little extra money, so he worked in the maintenance department, and he's terrible at that stuff. But uh, on breaks, 
if he was on a break, he, he always would pull out his Bible and read his Bible. He was on fire for Jesus at this particular time in his life. And a lot of the peers around him were, you know, making fun of him, making little statements, a holy roller, and, you know, he's Joe Christian and all that kind of stuff. But there was this one guy, he was the security, security guy, and kind of campus security, and he was a Muslim. And he came up to, uh, to PC, Pastor Chris, he wasn't a pastor then, he says, he says, um, so you, you're trying to tell me that you really believe what's in that Bible? He says, Chris says, yeah, every word. He says, no, you don't. He says, no, yeah, I do. He says, uh, let, do, do, can, I, can I test you? And Chris thought to himself, well, he's probably going to ask me a Bible question or a scripture you know, question or something like that. And so Chris says, yeah. And, and he goes, uh, okay. And he, bam! just smacks him across the face and Chris was just like what and 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 he was just stunned and his face is stinging and his head is ringing and the guy basically says if you're really a Christian turn the other cheek and and something Chris said rose up inside of him and he he just turned the other cheek and the guy goes just slaps him again, knocks him right out of his chair. His face is on fire. His head is ringing. His skin is stinging. It's terrible. And he just can't even believe this just happened. He's looking at him like, what is going on? And he just kind of scared, grabs his Bible and gets back into his chair, just kind of kind of just being quiet there for a second. And, and this Muslim guy comes right up beside him and just says, I want you to know something. You're the first real Christian I have ever met. Now, would you be willing to tell me what you believe and why you believe it? Wow. So, guys, most of you are not going to be tested like that. That's the reality. But culture will create a confrontation. It'll be at your job. It'll be at your work. It'll be in some relationship. The question is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to turn the other cheek? Are you going to respond with love? That's a really critical, critical missing component. Because what I see happen most of the time is we have two kind of approaches. There's the dogmatism, there's the escapism. Dogmatism is like, I'm right, this is what the Bible says, we're carrying our Bible around, I don't, here's the Heisman, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you believe. Escapism on the other side of the equation is more or less, um, hey, you know, don't be so rigid, PD, I mean, times have changed, God is love, is it, you know, Jesus loves everybody, he's accepting. And, and both of these are very dangerous. And the, the escapism is really saying, uh, set aside God's truth and his moral law. And they're purporting, in a sense, a message that is saying that they love you more than the one who created you. This is a very, very dangerous thing. See, on the dogmatism side, it's not about being right. It's about being righteous. My daddy used to say, you can be right, but you can be dead right. You can be all by myself. You're going to be. <laughs> and then on the escapism, that's where you're just like letting people live their life, but they could be walking right off of a cliff. So be careful as we go forward that you are not surrendering the full gospel. In John chapter 1, it says this. It says, we've seen his glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I love that it says full because it's not half grace, half true. It's full grace. We need all of God's abundant grace and we need all of God's truth. And Jesus modeled this 
in total perfection. He was able to keep all of his father's instructions to a T, to a T, excuse me, not a timeout, and at the same time attract tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. They were all magnetized to him. He could not compromise his convictions and they'd all feel completely and comprehensively loved. So don't, don't apologize for truth, but don't surrender the abundant, extravagant grace of God that sometimes we forget we've received and that's sometimes why we don't distribute it, okay? So culture says, as I begin to wrap things up, truth is relative. God says truth is relevant. It is so relevant to today, we just gotta get good at it because the world and Christianity really is changing and shifting. Christianity, only 35% of Americans believe in moral absolutes, you know? And so it's crazy. 16% of Americans subscribe to or use God's word as prescriptions for life, their life manual. And so people are seeing things differently now. They're seeing marriage differently. They're seeing cohabitation differently. They're seeing sex differently. They're seeing watching porn. No harm, no foul. Nobody knows. It's not doing anything wrong. See, we're moving more and more our behaviors to our beliefs. And that's why culture is saying, I don't see the difference. I don't, see, and therefore I don't, I'm not influenced by it because I don't see what you have working for you in a significant way. I don't necessarily want what you have because we look the same. And so this is a concern and, and, and because we've lost a biblical worldview and we've surrendered it to a Babylonian worldview. And saints, we need to wake up. I'm speaking to the church now. Wake, wake up. So you got to decide, you know, what kind of church do you want to be a part of as we rebuild the local church uh, really from the ground up in many ways. I want you to know this church is a super loving church, okay? You can come in off the street uh, Sunday morning, um, you know, from a party or like a rock star. You could have been drinking like a fish. You could, you could smell like you were on the edge of hell. <laughs> it's okay. You can come into the Father's house and we will welcome you with wide open arms. Come on in. Here's a front row seat. Sit by me. I want to hang out with you. But that being said, we're not going to compromise uh, God's word and God's truth. I, I would rather bow down to God's truth than bow down to culture's truth. The methods can change, but the message of Jesus Christ cannot change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I have an amen out there? So without grace, I promise you, I'd run from this church so and you and you and you should and many have run from the big C church because we would be self-righteous, judgmental, cold as ice uh, without the grace of God. But but we also need the truth of God. And so remember this little kind of adage: truth minus grace is just mean. Truth without grace is mean. True grace without truth is meaningless. Grace plus truth is good medicine. We all need the medicine of God's word. And Jesus did this so, so well. With a woman caught in the act of adultery, he said, after all the people that had condemned her to die left, he said, who judges you now? She says, no one, Lord. His first message was grace. Neither do I. Neither do I. His second message was truth. Go and sin no more. The order matters, grace, but you got to have truth as well. That's what we need in the world today. That's what we need to distribute in the world today. Now, Daniel, back to the story as we conclude, he passed this test. It's incredibly passed with flying colors. Look what happened. It says at the end of 10 days, they look better, healthier, nourished beyond any of the other young men who ate at the royal food, ate the royal food. So the guard, he took away from that point forward 
all the choice food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them all the vegetables they wanted, everybody. Daniel and his friends, the Bible says, became ten times better. What kind of Christian are you going to be? What kind of Christian, as we, as we go on our separate ways, are you going to be a chameleon Christian where you conform to culture? Are you going to be a grace and truth Christian that transforms the culture. You need to decide that. Here's the results when you become a grace and truth Christian. Daniel 1.17 to these four men, God gives knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. We're going to talk about this more next week but see when we don't see the problem as an obstacle but as an opportunity. We don't see this as God wants to promote you through these challenges and tests for your next level of service in the kingdom of God. And he gives and he releases these, these gifts in life to those people who will stand firm and love well in the world in which we live. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you. Lord, I just pray for every person that's lifting, listening, that you would lift them up, that you would encourage them from within. Lord, to stand firm in their faith. What they, what, they, um, what they subscribed to when they gave their life to Jesus Christ was not just the salvation package, but it would be Jesus as Lord. Jesus taking the wheel of my life. I surrender to you. Uh, it's not I'm right. It's God's right. And God knows what is best for me. And I submit and I yield my life to God today. Lord, in addition, help them, God, by your Holy Spirit to be distributors of your abundant grace in Jesus' name. And if you're far from God today and you concerned that you're not in relationship with him, God has grace for you. Listen, the most important thing for you to do is not try to figure it all out and fix everything on your own. God wants to come in to your messy situation and he wants to give you grace. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, for by grace we're rescued, we're saved. Not, it's by faith, not by yourself or anything you could do because if you could do that you'd probably boast about it according to Ephesians 2 8 and 9 so how do you get saved you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that what he did for you 2,000 years ago applies to you today if that's you would you pray with me just say this just say this right out loud wherever you are just say Jesus I receive your grace I need an abundance of grace. Come on, say that like you mean it. I need your grace. Lord, I pray that today would be a new beginning for me, and that I become a new person, and I receive a new identity and a new name, and I want to live up to that because of Jesus' name. That's possible. Because of what Jesus did for me 2,000 years ago, that becomes possible. Right now, I'm saved. Now, Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, seal it as the word says until the day of redemption. Lord, I thank you that their name is being written in the Lamb's book of life. And I also pray that in their life, you show them their new identity. Show them who they are in Christ. It's not what they do, but it's who they know in Jesus' name. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to tell somebody. I want you to give it away. I want you to pray with somebody. You can just raise your hand there in the chat and talk to somebody about that. I also want to encourage you, to, if you made that decision today, to just text CC Saved to 97000. And we want to send you something to help you on your spiritual journey, to help you on your next steps. We're going to steward it well. We're not going to hockey sock you, prayer walk you. No, we're just going to help you on your spiritual journey. 
Listen, thank you so much for listening. I hope this blessed you. Share it, give it away um, if it helps. And uh, I look forward to seeing you online next week or at one of our physical campuses nearby. God bless you.